Taiwan reported 281 local COVID infections on Wednesday. 115 of those cases were found in New Taipei, and the rest were scattered across 16 other cities and counties. The CECC said this wave of the epidemic was just beginning, and that a peak could arrive over the next half month. It said it may tighten vaccine mandates in the future, requiring more business venues to check for booster status. Also on Wednesday, Taiwan announced that it would no longer pursue a zero-COVID policy. In a high-level government meeting convened by the president. Officials agreed to switch to a policy of living with COVID. This means that the CECC will continue to monitor outbreaks and curb spread, but it will not adopt stringent control measures to restore Taiwan to zero new daily cases. The goals of the new policy will be to manage patients with mild symptoms and to reduce the rate of severe illness. With COVID cases rising again, the telecommunications and banking sectors are taking steps to prevent workplace outbreaks. Taiwan Mobile has placed all its office staff on remote work until April 15th. Zhonghua Telecom has split workers into groups that may not interact with other groups until April 10th. Finance firms like CTBC, Fubang and Cathay Pacific have also tightened precautions to fight COVID-19. Wrapped in protective clothing, this insurance company staff guides customers through a fever screening and real name registration at the door. In the COVID hotspots of northern Taiwan and Kaohsiung, one insurance firm gave goggles and KN95 masks to its counter staff and ordered routine disinfection at its branches. It's just one of many companies in the finance sector that have ramped up precautions amid a fresh COVID surge. CTBC Financial Holding now requires rapid testing for staff. Huanan Bank has instituted socially distanced seating and controls on movement in the workplace. At Sun Financial Holding, some 300 to 400 employees have been moved to other work sites or to a work-from-home situation. Fubon Financial and Cathay Financial Holdings have also adopted remote work and off-site work for some of their staff. Precautions are also tightening in the telecom sector. Customers at service branches must complete real name registration and disinfect their hands. Employees have been ordered to carefully monitor compliance to prevent an outbreak at customer service sites. Zhonghua Telecom will keep office staff divided and separated in so-called work bubbles until April 10th. It will also provide a 400 NT subsidy to encourage staff to test themselves for COVID before returning to work. Far Eastern has eased requirements for working from home and placed restrictions on physical meetings and visitors to its offices. At Taiwan Mobile, all office staff will work from home through to April 15th. On April 16th, some staff will return to the office as needed, but will be divided into groups that are kept apart. Every week, I send out a report on a rapid test that I take at home. I send the result to my company. What worries me more is that we have children in our family. We should all keep a face mask on and take the proper epidemic precaution. We do have to learn to coexist with the virus because if we keep tightening restrictions, the economy will be greatly affected. Customer-facing workers face greater exposure to COVID infection. Fearing a rise in cases after the long weekend, financial firms and telecom companies are taking every precaution. Taipei Mayor Ko Wenzhe is in hot water again for singing without a mask on. 
The local government of Taichung says it will issue fines to Ke and six members of his party for not wearing a mask when singing at a public event. Each will be fined 3,000 NT for violating COVID regulations. This isn't the first time that Ke ditched his mask for the sake of a song. He was caught going maskless at least twice before and was fined once by his own administration. Taipei Mayor Ke Wenzhe and Deputy Mayor Taiping Quinn stand shoulder to shoulder, mics in hand, singing their hearts out. Alongside them on stage are Taiwan People's Party lawmakers Gao Hongan and Lai Xiangling. The four of them are immersed in song, and none is wearing a face mask as legally required. Halfway through the song, three more maskless people join in. This footage is from a March 26 event held by the Taiwan People's Party at Taichung Splendor Hotel. The video shows Ke and company singing without masks in a breach of COVID regulations. Taichung city government has confirmed they'll be fined. After reviewing the matter with the CECC, we confirmed that they violated the rules. So Taichung city government has decided to issue a fine of 3,000 NT to each person. We've already collected their addresses to mail them the fine. If a fine is coming, so be it. I don't blame others for my own mistakes. That's the way it is. If you get caught doing something as a public figure, you'll get punished. I don't really have anything to complain about. It's not the first time Ke was caught breaking COVID rules. On March 29th, Ke attended a temple ceremony in Taipei, where he broke into song without wearing a mask. He was fined 3,000 NT by his own administration. At another event in Kaohsiung on March 12th, Ke was reported for singing on stage Song's Mask with several party members. Kaohsiung's health authorities have said they will deal with the violation in accordance with the law. Who's the richest person in Taiwan? According to the latest ranking in Forbes magazine, it's still footwear tycoon Zhang Tongyuan, who rose to number one last year. Zhang is the founder of Huali Industrial Group, the second largest contract shoemaker in the world. Zhang has a net worth of 11.7 billion U.S. dollars or 336 billion NT. His main factory is in Vietnam, but he has some 21 factories across the world. He has as many as 116,000 employees and can produce more than 300 million pairs of shoes a year. Perhaps because of the pandemic, people have actually been buying more shoes. His main clients are Nike and Converse, both of which have released quite impressive financial reports. Zhang Tongyuan is a self-made billionaire who started his shoe business in Yunling 50 years ago. Today, his company supplies to dozens of global brands and has gotten a revenue boost from the pandemic's e-commerce boom. He's number 163 on the Forbes World Billionaires list. The top spot went to Tesla's Elon Musk. He displaced Jeff Bezos of Amazon, who dropped to number two for the first time in four years. The first ever Wei Wuying International Music Festival will start on April 8th in Kaohsiung. This 10-day festival will showcase masterpieces from the 18th to the 21st centuries. There will be a series of solo recitals, symphony concerts, and even film screenings in the southern port city. Our very own Stephanie Yang gives us a preview.
This is the violinist William Wei, winner of the 2015 Queen Elizabeth International Music Competition in Belgium. He will perform with pianist Wang Pei Yao at the 2022 Wei Wuying International Music Festival. My way of expressing music, whether it's classical or contemporary, when I'm interpreting music, I always try to visualize it. Maybe I see a story, a building, a landscape painting. Then I try to get everyone else to imagine it. The first Wei Wuying International Music Festival will feature selections from the 18th to 21st centuries. There will be a series of solo recitals, symphony concerts, and film screenings. It will be a meeting point between West and East, with an intense dialogue with the international music world. A cosmopolitan and innovative festival with strong roots in Taiwan. A festival that wants to present a glimpse of the amazing variety of music. Many works will be performed for the first time in Taiwan. During the festival, there will be two screenings of a film by renowned Polish director, Academy Award winner Zbigniew Rybzymski. In addition to the film screenings, we will have solo recitals, duets, chamber music and large symphony concerts. In addition to classic works and contemporary works, we also have works from some 200 years ago, such as works by Joseph Haydn, the father of the symphony. The festival will feature four leading conductors as well as many top musicians and symphony orchestras. A total of eight performances will be held at Kaohsiung's Wei Wuying Performance Arts Center from April 8th till April 17th. FTV reporter Stephanie Yang and Li Zeming in Taipei. The U.S. State Department has approved the potential sale of Patriot missile technical support to Taiwan. The package is valued at 95 million U.S. dollars or 2.75 billion Taiwan dollars. It's expected to be formally approved by Congress within one month. This deal is Taiwan's third from the Biden administration and the second so far this year. On Wednesday, the presidential office released a statement thanking the U.S. for its rock-solid support for Taiwan. U.S.-made Patriot medium-ranged missile air defense system is an integral part of Taiwan's defenses. On Tuesday, Washington announced the potential sale of Patriot technical support to Taiwan. The deal could be approved by Congress within a month. It includes equipment, technical assistance, and maintenance for the Patriot system, as well as engineering services for ground installations. The deal is worth about 95 million U.S. dollars, or about 2.75 billion NT. The U.S. stated that the package would maintain regional stability and strengthen Taiwan's defense. It would also help sustain Taiwan's missile density and ensure readiness for air combat, the statement read. In its own statement, Taiwan's presidential office thanked Washington for the deal, noting that it was Biden's third deal for Taiwan and the second so far this year. It said the sale reflected the rock-solid Taiwan-U.S. relationship and the importance of Taiwan's defense to the U.S. The Russia-Ukraine war has highlighted the importance of anti-air missile systems. These systems are extremely important for maintaining stability in the Taiwan Strait as they would be able to deter a missile attack or warplanes from China. Arms sales are no longer the annual events that they were in the past. The higher frequency of sales reflects mutual trust between the Biden administration and Taiwan, and that is very important. The Russia-Ukraine war will be a huge revelation for China, which will learn that if you invade another country without a legitimate reason, you won't necessarily win. In fact, you might end up stuck in the mud. 
This revelation will result in China coming up with a new approach for invading Taiwan. We cannot ignore the possibility that China will try to invade Taiwan. As a matter of fact, after reconsidering its situation, China may launch an even more severe attack on Taiwan. Through public statements and arms sales, the U.S. is warning China against aggressive moves. It's signaling that even with the war in Ukraine, the U.S. is keeping a close eye on the Taiwan Strait. Three private organizations have announced a donation of medical supplies to Ukraine. The shipment includes first aid materials such as bandages and antibiotics, which will be sent to people in war-torn parts of Ukraine. At an event announcing the donation, two Ukrainian expats in Taiwan shared stories of their families back home, who now live under the threat of Russia. The table was stocked with bandages, antibiotics, and everything else you might find in a first aid kit. These emergency supplies will soon be shipped over to Ukraine. The Taiwan Good Association, the Formosa Republican Association, and a local business group have joined forces to collect medical supplies for Ukrainians in need. A lot of people have been injured over there, and there are people with fevers and with colds, not to mention COVID-19. They can't treat everyone. So with these antibiotics and all these other things, they can treat inflammations, relieve pain and fevers. We're sending the supplies to Poland. We have people there who will receive the shipment and take it to the border with Ukraine. At an event announcing the donation, two Ukrainians spoke of how the war changed daily life in their country. Because we never thought that such a thing like this would happen to Ukraine. Just like many of you having dinners with your loved ones on Sundays, watching movies with your kids. It was a normal life to us, but suddenly everything changed. And we really need the world to help Ukraine right now. Karina Voynikova fought back tears as she spoke of her family back in Ukraine who live under constant Russian bombing. She urged the Taiwanese people to help out by making donations online. Yulia Kuraliva, who hails from Kyiv, also made an appeal for donations. We need to collect money, we need donations, and then we would uh, distribute that money to the certain specific area. Some area needs medication, some area needs uh, food, some area needs shelter. Let's say we know that uh, lots of cities already uh, bombed and destroyed. So let's say people need some so-called uh, temporary shelters, the uh, mobile houses. Civic groups have come together to offer love and support to Ukrainians. They expressed hope that the war will end soon and that refugees can return home to live in peace. The legislative yuan is about to review a bill that converts the Taiwan Railways Administration into a state-run corporation. On Wednesday, the National Railway Union held a press conference denouncing the bill and urging lawmakers to reject it. They plan to protest the bill by collectively taking leave on Labor Day or May 1st. Let's hear from a union representative. More than 1,000 people have already signed our petition to strike. We got past 1,000 signatures in less than two weeks, and lots of petition forms haven't been sent to our office yet for counting. There's been some news from the TRA. They're saying that workers must request leave by April 8th. 
We at the Taiwan Railway Union have issued a statement in response. We reiterated that the official company policy is that days off need only be requested seven days in advance. They can't tell us that we can't request leave once they put out the work schedule. Finally, the main point we want to convey today is that on May 1st, which is Labor Day, the Railway Union will join other labor groups in demonstrating on the streets. We sincerely invite workers to join us. The Taiwan Railway Union put forth six demands. One is that it wants to be consulted on major issues that appear in the bill, such as the railway's safety reforms, asset allocation and operations. It's also seeking higher pay and better benefits for entry-level workers. In response, Taiwan's Transport Ministry said the demands would be discussed at a legislative meeting on Thursday. It asked the union to engage in, quote, rational discussion over the plan to collectively take leave on Labor Day. Liufu Village Theme Park is a popular family attraction in Xinzhou County. Earlier this year, one of its giraffes died of necrotizing enterocolitis, which is a devastating gastrointestinal disease. Activists say the case is part of a long-standing pattern of premature giraffe deaths at the park. Liofu Village theme park has denied the abuse allegations. Our reporter Stephanie Yang gives us the details. Lawmakers placed mulberry leaves at a memorial service for Pudding Girl, the giraffe, who died at 15 years old this February. Lawmakers accused the park of improper care that's resulted in premature animal deaths. Giraffes in captivity can live between 20 to 25 years, yet giraffes at the park have been dying at much younger ages. Eight giraffes have died in 10 years. Their average age at death was less than 10 years. This leads one to imagine that Liofu village is not really an animal paradise, but an animal cemetery. Animals have become a tool to make money. We also call into question whether Liofu village meets the requirements for importing three new giraffes. Would these giraffes really serve an educational purpose in such an environment? There are so many laws and regulations, yet we are seeing so many cases of negligence and oversight and management. We should work toward addressing animal mistreatment. The Legislative Yuan will convene and hold consultations to put forward a proposal so that the Executive Yuan can implement improvements. According to animal investigator Sarah Lin, some giraffes at the park died due to the poor living conditions. Giraffes are social animals, but Pudding Girl's companions kept dying. Pudding Girl had actually lived without companions for more than three years. What's more regrettable is that, as far as we know, eight to ten giraffes had died there. The cause of death was only made public for three of them. According to the activists, the park forces giraffes to perform and bred them improperly. They alleged that in 2015, Pudding Girl had been bred to her brother, Ban Ban. During an autopsy, a plastic bag was found inside Ban Ban's body. This demonstrates serious negligence in the management of Liofu Village theme park. Activists accused the park of mistreating not only giraffes, but also its white rhinos, zebras, orangutans, African meerkats, Hamadryas baboons, and American bisons. They said that the animals' habitats are too small or unsuited for their needs. There have been as many as 200 Hamadryas baboons. Their American bisons do not have enough cover for shade. 
The animals aren't even separated in the enclosures, they just constantly reproduce. That leaves them cramped in a low-quality living environment. From the viewpoint of animal rights and animal protection, it is unnatural to put wild animals in the zoo. Not to mention, making these animals perform and entertain people turns these animals into commodities. They become part of economic trade and they suffer in that process. In a statement, Liofu Village Theme Park denied the allegation levied by the activists. It said that Pudding Girl and Ban Ban were not siblings, and that giraffes at the park were not forced to inbreed. It also denied the charge that a plastic bag was found inside Ban Ban's body. Even so, legislators and activists urged the government to reject the park's import requests for more animals. They also called for stricter laws against animal mistreatment. FTV reporters Stephanie Yang and Lu Tong in Taipei. A pair of printmakers from Taiwan and Hong Kong found love through collaborative art. Now you can enjoy their work at a new exhibition. Shi Yi Xuan and Lam King Ting first began making prints together in 2016. Despite being in different countries, they sent their work back and forth over the sea to add to each other's images. On the left, a traditional Taiwanese night market game, fishing. On the right, Hong Kong's famous goldfish market, where goldfish of all kinds wriggle in plastic bags. Two iconic local customs sit side by side. Creating work by yourself is hard enough. It's even harder to create in a pair. You have to consider how your work will correspond with the other, and then when they combine, how you will make one plus one greater than two. Hong Kong artist Lam King Ting met his future wife, Xu Yixuan, by chance. In 2016, they began a collaboration format they christened Half You, Half Me. They would both make an image based on a local tradition, send it to the other, and then finish the other half of the work. The results are prints that span the 715-kilometer distance between Taiwan and Hong Kong. As the artistic duo worked together, they gradually became closer. The first thing he did was he sent over a print which contained fruit sugars in the media, pomelo and mango. When I saw that, I knew he was probably referencing the dish mango pomelo sago. What was interesting was, at first, the prints were really half and half. But as it went on, we had more and more different variations. Perhaps I'd leave an empty space in the wall in the building for Yishun to use her imagination on when she came to it. But the exhibition is not your only chance to see the couple's work. They've opened their own printmaking workshop to continue Half You, Half Me. Their students will get a chance to complete the second half of their prints, bringing fresh energy into the picture.